Spencer Alpert, the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is someone who uh, should have been on the show many, many more times uh, than he has been, but he's here today. It is the crack prospect analyst for Fangraphs, author both of the uh, organizational top 15 prospect lists that come out every year and also the, the top 100 prospect list that you'll see annually. His name's Mark Hewlett. And in what follows, uh, Mark Hewlett and I use the minor league leaderboards, or, or I should say a version of the minor league leaderboards, as an entree into discussion, uh, in this case, of four prospects. Those prospects are Tony Singrani, left-handed pitcher with the Cincinnati Reds, Corbin Joseph, a, a maybe a second-base prospect, definitely with the New York Yankees, Wilmer Flores, again, perhaps a player without a defensive home, um, but one who's in the New York Mets organization, quite an excellent offensive year, and also uh, the very big, uh, and it appears also talented, uh, Daniel Vogelbach, first baseman in the Cubs system. And what follows, uh, we, we not only talk about each of those prospects, but we also allow um, discussions of each of them to become discussions about uh, larger concerns uh, for prospect analysis in general. Of course, things that won't be very foreign to Fangraphs readers, concepts like age relative to level, the import of, of a defensive home, we discuss the virtues of players with high floors and the expectations uh, that are placed on Dominican or other Latin prospects as compared to young American prospects, young American-born prospects. In addition to uh, treating those four prospects, Mark Hewlett also discusses MILB TV, how that service has changed in recent years, and finally gives us the very briefest of previews into when and where the forthcoming top 15 prospect lists Reach Club will be available at the site. It is uh, Fangraphs Audio. It is a discussion of prospects with Mark Hewlett, and it begins right now. Championship game between the Vancouver Canadians. Uh, and the Boise Hawks. And the Boise Hawks, right. So these are uh, – uh, Vancouver Canadians are a minor league uh, team for the Toronto Blue Jays, uh, Boise Hawks for the Cubs, Chicago Cubs, um, and they play in the Northwest League together. They do. Yeah. It is the, the magic of MILB.com TV. Oh, right. There you are. Okay, yeah. Um, the, and it's handy because uh, I can uh, – I can catch almost any prospect I want to see um, and get a pretty good look at them. Well, that's an interesting thing to, to start off by talking because, of course, there are going to be a number of listeners who are interested, um, of course, in their team's prospects, following prospects generally. Uh, as a as a service, how, uh, I guess, um, what has been your experience with MILB.TV, I guess, both this year and, and sort of how has it grown of late? Yeah, it's uh, it's actually gotten quite a bit better. Um, when I started, I think I started subscribing to it about four years ago, maybe five. And uh, the number of games that they had um, available was uh, far fewer than today. Um, you can pretty much catch any AAA game every day. Um, and then there's sporadically placed uh, TV availability throughout the other levels. The only levels that you definitely can't watch games are the Florida Coast League and the Gulf Coast League and the uh, Arizona 
leagues, so the two rookie leagues. But I think there's at least one team in every other league that has um, uh, TV capability. Oh, right. So which would have the advantage of, um, I guess, so say uh, a top So you're roster. always going to catch the, the home team, but then any visitor that goes through. Right. So in that case, it's not on, like, living in a town where there's a minor league team and you say, well, I want, you know, Dylan Bundy to come through at some point. He may not play for that, the, the local affiliate, but he'll be coming through at some point, hopefully. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, that's interesting. So, so you did this, and um, actually, I think uh, the sort the sort of plan I had for today, Hewlett, and um, you're an agreeable agreeable sort. Um, I don't want you to feel as though I've strong armed you into it, but uh, <laughs> uh, over the last couple of weeks at the site, um, I used the Daily Notes column uh, to look at minor some minor league leaderboards in a way that, uh, for me. I think is is uh, pro, you know at least it's, it's sort of like the a responsible way of doing it I guess which is instead of you know just sorting um, but having to deal with different uh, plate appearance thresholds etc. Uh, the idea is to sort of use some work um, um, some work on sample sizes via uh, Russell Carlton uh, who's who's formerly been known as Pizza Cutter uh, has done some excellent research on the internet um, to to come up with some regressed lines for players. Um, this uh, this in itself, of course, is is in no way infallible. But I guess um, at least as sort of a means of triangulating performance, um, I find it helpful. And also, it it deals with some of the difficulties uh, of sample sizes because you may you may get smaller. You know, with with players who are being promoted, that's um, that's an issue. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and so uh, these leaderboards, at least, um, I I figure we could use as um, an entry point. To have some discussions about players, whether it's uh, to look at a player atop his league's leaderboard and say he he belongs there, um, to look at him and say, um, yeah, he's uh, he's put up some some good performances so far, um, but this may not be something that will translate uh, to the major leagues, or at least uh, not it does not appear that way now. Um, and or f- finally, uh, you, there might be players. Who you feel uh, have been woefully omitted uh, from the from the leaderboards, um, uh, you know. The, I want to avoid, I guess, and so I'll, I'll encourage you to jump in any time. I want to avoid just going through uh, a list, as it were, check by check. So, um, in, in any event um, that discussing one uh, prospect um, for you brings up um, a sort of bigger idea, I I encourage you to. Um, to go after that um, to, to your heart's content. <laughs> sure, will do. And if you don't like it, you can cut me out. Yeah, I will, I'll cut you out. I actually just... <laughs> the wonders uh, of editing. Yeah, well, you may not know this. Is this is actually just distributed one side. It's just me talking. Um, well, so your part uh, your part <laughs> of the, the podcast is, will be omitted entirely. Um, uh, yeah, so I guess... Um, where to begin? I, you know, it might be interesting to start with a player um, that I've looked at uh, on the site just to kind of get an idea of what was going on with them. That Mike Newman uh, has looked at. Um, I think he uh, had the benefit of being able to see him this year, and uh, who's now playing in the major leagues is is the point, and, and uh, has had some uh, early success. Um, and that's uh, Tony or Anthony uh, Singrani. Um, sure. If he were, 
you know, any sort of uh, real Italian. If you're real Italian, Italian you'd be Cingrani, but uh, just like <laughs> I'm Cistuli, I should be Cistuli. Um, Cingrani is interesting, I guess, in the sense that he doesn't have a huge fastball, but he's had uh, he had great success this year in terms of striking out batters and has um, had uh, similar success, um, albeit in uh, you know just a couple appearances as a uh, as a major leaguer. So I'm curious. Um, first of all, uh, was it surprising to you to see his name atop uh, a couple different uh, leaderboards? Um, no, not really. Um, if you look back at my uh, top 15 prospect list for the Reds uh, in 2000 or before 2012, uh, Singrani was listed as the eighth overall prospect, and I think I may have ranked him a little bit higher than some of the other lists. Um, I was actually a pretty big fan of his um, after just his first uh, partial season in the minors. Um, he. Uh, he does, he can touch, at least I've heard he can touch 94, 95 with the fastball. But that's by no means where it usually sits. Um, and he's definitely made some improvements on the secondary pitches, but there's still the question out there of whether or not they're good enough for him to stick in the starting rotation in the majors. Um, but he has enough of uh, some deception, uh, funkiness in his delivery, that uh, it helps his fastball play up and uh, look a little bit uh, harder than it really is. Now, I remember a couple years ago, and actually it was for consecutive seasons, David Hernandez, uh, Chris Nell, relief pitcher with the Diamondbacks. David Hernandez, I, I believe in consecutive years, led uh, either his level or the entire minor leagues in strikeouts. Um, and, and there was constantly the concern, however, uh, as to whether this would translate to major league success. Um, it has in a relief role, but there was um, certainly – among prospect types, there was there was always the feeling that he would not be able to make it as a starter. Now, most of that had to do w- with the fact that he he was particularly reliant on his slider as a as an out pitch. The strange thing about Singrani is that his fastball is his out pitch, uh, and I'm curious as to um, as to either a how that sort of I guess, uh, affects your assessment of him and, and his major league potential? And B, if there is any sort of um, comparables you can see here who is sort of a fastball first pitcher who's had that sort of success in the minors. Hmm. I'm not very good at comparing players. Um, so I don't know if I can I can do that so much. Um, but I definitely I agree with you with David Hernandez that it's a good uh, good guy to bring up. Because I think I'm one of those guys when I was uh, writing him up when he when he was in the minors, is I was actually a little bit uh, higher on him too than some people. But with that said, I did see him as a reliever at the big league level, and I'm glad to see that he's actually thriving in that role with the Diamondbacks. Uh, with Granny, um, he 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 succeeds with the fastball because, like I said, it it gets on the hitters quicker. It's it's harder to pick up, and his second best pitch is a changeup. So when he throws it properly, he's basically throwing it from the same uh, location. So the hitters then have to choose whether it's fastball or changeup, which then gives them even more chance to get behind the fastball. And I think that's part of it, too, for him. And, you know, uh, with regard to his changeup, I've seen a couple – I've seen it a couple times now. I've seen minor league clips um, where it looks devastating – 
Um, of course, these are the sort of clips that have been isolated. Um, I, I saw him throw it, I think, it, a couple times um, from the really uh, in front of the really nice Miami Marlins camera, which has a nice uh, um, angle, and uh, it did not look as devastating. Uh, I'm curious as to as to sort of that pitch in Singrani's arsenal and, and um, you know, what you see generally. Like we say, oh, I mean, you, you see all the time but with regard to a prospect. He needs to improve this pitch to get better. I mean, how often does that happen? Uh, to what degree can we reasonably expect that to happen? Well, I think with Singrani it comes down to the fact that he's only pitched two games at the major league level. So you're dealing with a really small sample size with the changeup. Um, he's only throwing it less than 4% of the time, and he's throwing his fastball like 92% of the time. Right. So there's a huge discrepancy there between the two pitches. Um, so I, I don't know that we can really read too much into the changeup at this point until we decide whether or not it's just, you know, was his changeup a little overrated in the minors by some people, and it's just not um, fooling the, hit, the big league hitters like it would in the minors. I tend to give him the benefit of the doubt because he did have some sustained success in the minors with, like you said, high strikeout rates. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go with small sample size at this point, um, and just the inconsistency. Keep in mind he's also coming out of the bullpen, which is something he never really did in the minors, or at least not consistently. So there could be a different comfort level as well with um, warming up out of the bullpen. Right, naturally, yeah. Um, now, I want to ask you about another uh, another player, one who also played uh, the sort of highest levels of the minor leagues this year um, and had uh, surprising results, certainly for me, relative to, to what I'd known about him before, and that's uh, Corbin Joseph. Okay. Um, you, now, uh, you'll have to um, – I'll apologize both to the listeners and to you, Mark Hewlett, is that my interests tend to run to the fringes of of minor league prospects. Uh, so if ever you feel like uh, I'm, uh, uh, I guess, uh, looking at this sort of prospect too thoroughly, uh, feel free to throw in a, a Jerickson profile uh, if if uh, that's necessary for you. But the, the interesting thing about Corbin Joseph is, um, of course, when we look at minor leaguers, um, you know, obviously uh, tools are a consideration. Um, we also look at uh, performance relative to level. Right, and if you have um, a young player um, who's um, young, you know, certainly who's not only young, uh, generally speaking, but young relative to his level, and he appears to be holding his own, um, this is typically this is typically a positive sign, uh, so far as his his future is concerned. Um, one player who did that this year to good effect is uh, Yankees uh, quasi second base prospect. Corbin Joseph, and I call him uh, quasi prospect because he uh, there, there are some questions about his future, um, his defensive future. However, um, uh, um, he acquitted himself very nicely uh, both at the Double A Eastern League and then um, in uh, almost 400 plate appearances at Triple A in the International League, where he showed an ability to really control the strike zone. Um, I think, you know, on average this year, he, he basically walked as much as he struck out, which is not a thing you necessarily see a lot from a player, uh, certainly that age, playing against advanced talent like that. Um, I'm curious uh, curious for, for your thoughts on, on Corbin Joseph. It, it, you know, does he deserve to be regarded as a fringe prospect? 
Um, or is there something there um, that can may, make him a useful major leaguer? I would say that um, he's a guy that's kind of a fringe prospect. Um, I, I doubt that you'll see him on the Yankees' um, top 15 prospect list when it comes out this this fall winter. Um, he was on my Yankees list at Fangrass in 2009. I think I ranked him eighth. eighth. And uh, I think the very first sentence I, I said was the biggest knock on Joseph is his defense. So you've already hit on that. So he's not going to win any gold gloves playing second base. Um, he's, he's definitely got a bat. Um, that's worthy of probably coming off the uh, a big league bench. Um, it definitely helps that he swings from the left side. Um, so add in the fact that he's you know he's left-handed. He uh, has consistently shown the ability to hit for average, and he also has a pretty good idea of the strike zone. Again, as you mentioned, I could see him maybe having uh, a Ryan Roberts kind of career. Um, perhaps uh, with a better team coming off the bench, with a lesser team maybe playing every day for a year or two. Um, I think he'd be not, not the best comp because I think Roberts, if I'm not mistaken, is, is right-handed. Um, but that kind, of, that kind of idea, a guy that can't really play defense, um, the Yankees haven't given really him a chance to play any other position but second base. He played third base a little bit earlier in his career. Um, but... Uh, He's a guy that could maybe be given a first baseman's glove and do that a bit. Um, obviously, his offense isn't quite right for that to play every day, but he could probably maybe Scott Spezio too would be another good comp for uh, for Mr. Joseph. Uh, yeah, and I'm uh, I'm also sort of thinking of especially you mentioned first base, uh, uh, maybe someone like Jeff Keppinger, who yep, that's another good one, right? Who's been known not not um, not a ton of power, but uh, with an excellent approach at the plate. Um, who is able to sort of get the most out of his hit, uh, his hit tool, and uh, has had some success previously in the majors and uh, this year as a sort of everyman for uh, for the, the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, I think he's the type of player that Joseph that um, you're you're not going to get an everyday guy out of him, and sometimes that causes you know some people to just write him off as irrelevant. But he's the kind of guy that on the right team he'll pop up in the playoffs and win them a game. And you'll be like, "Wow, where'd this guy come from?" That's interesting. And why is he on the bench? Yeah, that's interesting. You bring that up because ceiling, of course, is a is is one question, and floor is another. And I feel as though, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, um, with regard, you know, within the prospect community, I assume that there are, um, um, and I should say, the prospecting community, there there are certain people who are going to be more excited about ceiling, um, and then there are going to be other. Um, prospect evaluators who are going to be more attuned to the idea of floor. It seems like Corbin Joseph is a guy with a pretty high floor. Yeah, I would agree. And you've maybe given me a good idea for, a, you know, an article in March or April uh, ranking some prospects who are maybe not going to be everyday guys, but uh, might end up being very useful role players and bullpen guys. Um, yeah, I like that idea. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I agree, absolutely. Um, floor is important at times, too, especially with those role players because every team needs a strong bench. Every team needs a strong bullpen. So even though those guys aren't going to earn millions and they're not going to win the adoration of fans uh, every day, they are extremely important in, in the lifeblood of any good organization. Right, yeah, and, and I, I also think of another guy, 
who, who may or may not fit this profile right now, but um, Dave Sapelt um, has uh, has played some game with the Cubs of late. Um, uh, he was uh, he was at one point in the Reds organization. Um, he's sort of a, a fringy outfield type, and you probably see some others sort of like this. David DeJesus is kind of like the best case scenario for this sort of player, but um, someone who has abilities to not be bad at a lot of places, um, which in the case, which in effect is something that is uh, you know ultimately an advantage uh, for a team to have and not have to pay a lot of money to a bench player. Exactly, and I, I think Sapelt is a good example too. I kind of see him as a, a Reed Johnson uh, kind of player. Um, and, and you're right; every organization looks for areas to um, cut cost, and I think that's one of the things we've seen in the last uh, five to ten years is a lot of those expensive veterans who used to finish off their career as utility guys aren't playing those final three or four years of their career hanging on, kind of like an Omar Biskel this year. Um, he's a rare case these days. A lot of teams are now going to the younger players, like a David Sapelt, who maybe would have spent five years at AAA ten years ago, whereas now he's getting a chance to be in the majors, even though it's on the bench. Um, yeah, and I, I remember that sort of that became an issue, or, or at least for me, was brought to a head. Or the idea was kind of crystallized, I should say, uh, with I don't remember when Jermaine Die uh, at one point. Yep. I mean, it was you know. The off season before, or after what is now his last major league season, he was looking for uh, a contract that I don't know was maybe eight million dollars, nine, something like this, um, for a one year deal. And I, and this was sort of for me it became quick because no one resigned him because that sort of player, the sort of player that would offer Jermaine Die type value, could probably derived, you know, maybe you know not necessarily solely from the bat. Uh, but the entire package from a Dave Sapel sort, who you're paying uh, league minimum salary. Absolutely. If you're gonna, if you're going to receive league average production, you might as well pay league um, minimum salary for it if you can. So four hundred thousand dollars, as opposed to eight million for Dermian Die, even if it's a half win more, I don't think it's worth it. So I, I think teams have really gotten smart about that. Um, and uh, it's definitely to the benefit of those fringe major leaguers like Corbin Joseph and Sapelt. Right, who could uh, see some time. Now, it, the, Joseph, of course, brings up the issues of what to do with Yankees prospects um, or sort of, I guess, how to think of them, um, especially if they're sort of of, of the fringe variety. On, on another team, um, well, I guess, in, for example, an Astros team that doesn't have Jose Altuve on it, Cor- Corbin Joseph maybe has had has had major league plate appearances already? Um, I think you're right because the I mean the Astros picked up Brandon Laird uh, who the Yankees waived um, about a month ago and I'd consider Corbin Joseph a better player than Brandon Laird. So if Brandon Laird can be in the major leagues, uh, most certainly uh, Corbin Joseph could be. So yeah, I'm curious as to how because obviously part of your job or maybe this isn't your job is um, not only to look at a player in a vacuum, I guess, right, without any context, to say this is the sort of player this guy could be in the major leagues, but to say, I mean, at a certain point, you're tasked with trying to understand how he actually will fit in uh, in, the, in, in the major leagues. And with a team like the Yankees, that's going to be a different role than it would be with, you know, a couple of the teams, you know, like the Astros, or, or another sort of uh, second division team that's looking for a shot at the playoffs, you know, 
once every four or five years as opposed to every year. Absolutely, and I, t- I try and work that uh, type of projection into my top 15 list, but I only have so many words and so much time to write about each player. So sometimes that doesn't really make it in um, because things can change so differently in a franchise, um, like the Orioles. You know, Before this year, they were expected to be um, pretenders for like the next five years. Suddenly, they're in the they're in the playoff contention, and the way that they're looking at their young players suddenly changes. A month ago, they were like, "No way, Dylan Bundy's going to play in the majors." Suddenly, now Dylan Bundy's in the majors. So, um, yeah, it's definitely important to look at, but it changes so much that uh, sometimes it's better to just go best case scenario with a prospect. Do you feel like with a player like that? Um, I mean, at a certain point, is Corbin Joseph's uh, development stalled because he's at AAA, um, he's blocked by Robin Can- Robinson Cano, um, you know, and you could argue a couple other guys. Uh, is this something that because of the context of the team, um, it might actually affect his abilities as a player? I think it's going to affect more his value uh, as a, a trade piece if the Yankees really want to get something for him, use him in a deal for somebody else. Obviously, you're not going to trade Corbin Joseph straight up for somebody else, a, a big league regular. Um, but as a part of a package, he's 23 now. He's going to be 24 soon. Um, he only has um, part of a triple-A season under his belt. So I don't think it's too dire yet, but he did play parts of three years in double-A. So if he hadn't gotten out of double-A this year, I think you could have definitely made the case that you know his uh, development is starting to be uh, stunted. Now, um, another, another player um, also put up uh, rather excellent offensive numbers this year. Um, also a prospect in a New York organization, in this case the Mets, and also one whose defensive future uh, is questionable is Wilmer Flores. Uh, as a 20-year-old, um, he hit excellently uh, in high A. Um, again, showed real control of the strike zone. Uh, and unlike um, unlike Corbin Joseph, uh, or I should say not unlike, but uh, in even more power, uh, certainly relative to age and level than, uh, than Corbin Joseph, and he was doing it in the uh, uh, in uh, Florida as well, Florida State League as opposed to um, a higher level. Um, he uh, he he played well in Florida State League, and then he also played um, in the Eastern League, and uh, did did quite well there as uh, uh, with the Double A, I guess uh, Binghamton team there. Um, I, I'm curious though. Uh, I mean. T- how different is this um, report on a player like Wilmer Flores, who uh, has been um, a highly ranked prospect before um, and uh, is a little bit younger, but relative to his level is probably this kind of the same ages as Corbin Joseph has been. Of course, he did make it to double A, so there is an age difference there. But I'm, I'm curious how you feel about Wilmer Flores by himself, but also um, – to what degree the fact that he has been a more highly rated prospect, how that affects his future? I think the thing with Wilmer Flores you have to remember is that he was a highly touted prospect at the age of, I think, 17. Um, So to put that kind of expectation on him so early, especially in a big market like New York, fans can get impatient with that. So they want to see that 17-year-old in the majors in like two or three years. So if he's not 19 or 20 in the majors, he's a huge disappointment. And he's starting to show that after playing most of this year at only the age of 20, 
he just turned 21 in August. So he wasn't he he wasn't just young; he was really young for the level, uh, which I think the average age in AA is 24. So he's about four years below the average, and he played well above league average in terms of offense. The problem with Wilmer Flores and why I'm hesitant to slap uh, another high rank on him is that he's not a shortstop. So if he was a shortstop like he was when he was 17, he'd probably be the number one prospect in the system hands down after bouncing back like he did. But because he's going to either play third base, first base, maybe left field, you're you're lowering his def- his defensive value which lowers his overall value. And he's never going to sort of recoup that part of his value. So with him, I'm still going to put that impressed, but haven't bought 100% into it label on him. I guess that's a really long label. It's a terrible label. <laughs> did, did you hyphenate that? <laughs> I, I, what does that look like? How does that, is that different in, in Canadian print than it is in uh, American? It is, yeah. It we is, use yeah. much uh, much fewer letters yeah. to get across what we have to say. Noted, right. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I, here's the thing, though. The Mets. This seems to happen quite often. Uh, it, as you mentioned, there were high expectations on Wilmer Flores. Um, he played really well this year, but um, there, there there were certainly some people down on him entering the season. Uh, this certainly happened with Fernando Martinez, who's not uh, part of the organization anymore. I mean, even as yeah. like, I don't think he's he's not older than 22. Um. This happened also, I believe, with um, um, uh, Henry Mejia, um, wh- whose name I, I, I might be mispronouncing, but I think I have right, um, who it, there's been a, a great deal of concern and hand-wringing, uh, both within the Mets organization and in the uh, New York media, uh, with regard to what his role will be. Um, and it seems to me that this is happening quite a bit with the Mets. It, does it happen more with the Mets than it does with other uh, than it does with other organizations, or do we just happen to hear about it more? I think we just hear about it more because New York's uh, again that uh, large, passionate fan base. Um, so they tend to to speak out quite loudly when things go wrong. And um, with the Mets too, they had some strong signings out of Latin America, so they got a lot of those players young. Um, and again, you have to have patience with those uh, teenage prospects. So you see a lot of up and down with their value and a lot of questions um, about what their ultimate role is going to be. You get people talking about how a 17-year-old has number one starter potential, but at 17, he's nowhere near what he's going to be when he's ready to establish himself in the majors. So projection is only so good, and that's why you get a lot of variety. So with the Mets, with a number of their prospects being Latin guys, you just saw that huge fluctuation with some of them. Right, and I guess uh, in this case, all three of those those players are, are Latin. I, I guess now does that does that happen more often? Then um, do you think that besides age, there's also there's a certain I guess maybe mystery associated with the Latin players because, you know, they're bought from a, from a distant island or, you know, they're, they're assigned for, from a distant island. Uh, and then, you know, frequently you find that they play their first couple years there, whereas even, you know, a high school signee in the United States, they're not going to send him to the Dominican Summer League. Um, so I wonder, do you, I mean, does that sort of quality of mystery, does that help to perhaps um, 
affect uh, expectations associated with those players? I think that's a fair comment. A fair comment to make. Um, definitely, you you know a little bit less about the, the the product and where exactly it's coming from. Um, you know, with in North America, a lot of times you're with the college guys. Scouts have been seeing them since they were in their freshman year of high school. So that's like seven years a lot of times of back history with scouts. Whereas if you're signing a 16-year-old, usually they're popping up on the on the prospect landscape at the age of 20, 12 or 13. So you've only got three or four years to, to look at a player as opposed to North America where you've got a long history. And a lot of those high school guys, you know, their their parents played, their dad played ball or their uncle played ball or um, their coach um, played in the majors and has known the family since the kid was knee high. So yeah, you get a lot more information in North America than you, than you do in the, the Latin areas. Now, um, uh, because I'm uh, I played a very important role to Fangraphs Guild, I have to be at a meeting <laughs> in uh, in six minutes. Um, but I don't want you to feel as though, um, as you likely will anyway. But I don't want you to feel as though I've uh, forced you to talk about only these sort of players for whom I have um, probably uh, an unnecessary degree of enthusiasm. Um, I'm curious: is there is there anyone that we haven't um, touched upon? Um, oh, you know, ideally that appeared on one of these leaderboards that you might uh, have some interest in, in discussing directly. Um, let me think. Uh, well, let's talk about uh, Dan Vogelbach for a, a minute. Cause yeah, let's I talk about just... big Dan Vogelbach. Yeah, because <laughs> I had a chance to just watch him play a little bit, uh, a couple games. Um, so he's kind of fresh on my mind as someone I've seen recently. Would you like to introduce uh, Dan Vogelbach to the world? <laughs> Dan Vogelbach is, uh, I believe, still, I think he's still 19. So he's a teenager. But when he comes up to the plate, he looks... And I wrote about this on the, the website recently. He looks like he plays in a beer league. So he's he's a massive, massive kid, like Prince Fielder massive. And you really you really don't get a good sense of how big he is until you like see him. But uh, especially waist up, like he's got some some good size on him from the waist up, and uh, he's got the the massive, massive power you'd expect. Uh, it's pretty impressive. I saw him hit a. Pitcher from the Blue Jays, Taylor Cole. He uh, kind of sits around 88, 90 miles an hour with his fastball. He left it knee-high right over the center of the plate, and Vogelbach just took it like to center off the batter's eye, 400, maybe 430, I'd say it landed. He just, there's no doubt about it. I'm pretty sure the ball was in pieces when it landed. Yeah, and I, I will say I've seen some video of him um, just, you know, from YouTube videos, uh, and yeah, his swing is—he uh, has a firmness to it uh, that is that is a man's. It is a man's strength as opposed to a young a boy's. Oh, absolutely! And the impressive thing about him is he—he's always hit for a good average in the minors. And I was a little curious to kind of see his his approach at the plate in person, and I was really impressed because uh, a couple innings later, after just creaming that ball, um, a couple innings later he went up. And he's a left-handed hitter, and uh, he was facing a left-hander at this point. And uh, he just took the ball where it was pitched and went the other way with it and dumped it into uh, into left field for a single. So I can see that those averages that he's been maintaining in the minors aren't just a fluke of a high um, 
you know, balls in play average, he, he's actually got an idea of what he's doing at the plate. Right, and uh, and so if we haven't said it, uh, uh, Dan Vogelbach is a is a first baseman in the Cubs system. He um, he's big, as we've mentioned, and um, I, I'm I'm curious, and he's really big, and it's not a massive, it's not Frank Thomas big, it, it's as he you know to Prince Fielder esque in the sense that his body could really get away from him. Obviously, Prince Fielder has had success. Um, Dan Vogelbach does not benefit in terms of. Uh, I guess notoriety, at least, uh, having a former big leaguer for a father. Uh, I'm curious, though, as to this sort of player, uh, I mean, or he might be, you know, he, he might be an outlier because of the body. Um, um, he has an offensive game. I mean, is it going to be necessarily an old man's skills uh, because because of that body? You know, is this a player we can expect to have major league success? I think he has a good chance to have a little bit of major league success. I don't know how long he'll be able to sustain it. Like you say, um, with his body type, they don't tend to age well. Um, but, you know, he's 19. If he can have another good year next year at the age of 20, he could probably play in a high A ball. Um, and, you know, maybe he can even get to double A. Um, that's probably putting a lot of expectation on the guy. Um, but I'd say, you know, by the time he's 22, he can maybe be in the majors. And, uh, you know, if he can get six to eight good years in the majors, I think he could have some success there. And as long as he keeps the ball in the air on the line drive and over the fence, you know, he should hit for a decent average because, like I said, he's got an idea of what he's doing up there. And uh, he does not have to sell out for power. He does not have to pull the ball to hit it out. Uh, Like I said, he creamed one to center. And, uh, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure, even though I didn't see it in this game, he's got he's probably got above average opposite field power. Okay, um, listen, I, I would really like to talk uh, longer, but again, uh, I'm kind of my VIP status, um, <laughs> not permitted to do so. I want to thank you, though, uh, Mark Hewlett, uh, for talking to me today and also providing crack prospect coverage to the site. I'm curious, uh, when can we expect the top 15 list to start? When is that a thing that starts? Um, I'm going to have to do a little bit of negotiating with uh, Mr. Cameron, um, but we did talk about it briefly, and I think it's going to be right around November 1st. Okay, excellent. Uh, well, I look forward to those. I'm sure uh, many readers do as well. <clears throat> Sorry, as well. Um, I'm going to encourage you to stay on briefly uh, after I'm done recording here, uh, but uh, in the meantime, I'd like to thank you for, for coming on. Oh, my pleasure, Carson. All right, that is Mark Hewlett, uh, our uh, crack prospect analyst. Uh, I'm Curtis Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.